We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. Both sides tend to exaggerate their position. And I think that's part of the problem here, is that the people who were for something pushed way beyond the limit, and the people who responded against also exaggerated at times because that's what they were facing. They were facing extreme views, extreme positions. And so the first step to healing is recognizing that we've all done it, regardless of the degree. And so to me, that is the beginning of the healing process. Yeah. The only caveat around that, I would say, Peter, is that it's one thing to talk about human beings communicating with each other. And by the way, folks, the people who are listening into this, when Peter talks about the pros and the cons, he's talking about the pro-mainstream narrative folks and those who dissented from the mainstream narrative about COVID and how to handle it and the divide that happened there. And it's still in place, actually. Exactly. And it's another thing we have to heal up. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 189, PH Factor, The Reconciliation, Healing a Wounded World. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Hello from Ontario. Harry, how are you doing there in Nova Scotia? I'm not too bad, Peter. Uh, life is good here. It's a bit of a cloudy, drizzly day, but we're working on the barn and fencing and lots of hubbub around the property, and it's all good. How about you? Pretty good here, too. I mean, it's a little bit drizzly, low teens, a bit cooler, but really nothing to complain about overall. Pretty good. I'm feeling good. You sound fairly good. Excuse me one second. Mm. It's so good to be able to drink coffee again. I stayed off it for a week or two. Did it affect your taste buds? Not so much that. I did it just as part of the healing process, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. We're going to be talking about some healing. And yeah, so I stayed off the coffee by choice for a week or two. And now I'm back to having one, maybe two cups a day. But it's really, really nice, especially that uh, Hockley Valley Brazilian espresso. I just love it. So Mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying this cup of coffee. Beautiful. So today, Harry, I wanted to kick off this podcast. I thought after you gave me some information and I reviewed some of the content of that article or that essay by Charles... Eisenstein, which was really written back in March of 2020. So it was right at the very inception of the whole COVID situation. There's a segment that I wanted to quote directly. I'm just going to read it. It's about maybe a minute and a half or two minutes just to kick off this podcast. I think it's a very interesting essay, and I thought it was very pertinent to what we're talking about today, which is the whole healing process and the approach we may want to take or not. So from Charles Eisenstein, The Coronation, and this is from his essay of March 2020, verbatim. Here it is. COVID-19 is showing us that when humanity is united in common cause, phenomenally rapid change is possible. None of the world's problems are technically difficult to solve. They originate in human disagreement. In coherency, humanity's creative powers are boundless. A few months ago, a proposal to halt commercial air travel would have seemed preposterous. Likewise, for the radical changes we are making in our social behavior, economy, and the role of government in our lives. COVID demonstrates the power of our collective will when we agree on what is important. What else might we achieve in coherency? 
What do we want to achieve? And what world shall we create? That is always the next question when anyone awakens to their power. COVID-19 is like a rehab intervention that breaks the addictive hold of normality. To interrupt a habit is to make it visible. It is to turn it from a compulsion to a choice. When the crisis subsides, we might have occasion to ask whether we want to return to normal or whether there might be something we've seen during this break in the routines that we want to bring into the future. We might ask, after so many have lost their jobs, whether all of them are the jobs the world most needs and whether our labor and creativity would be better applied elsewhere. We might ask, having done without it for a while, whether we really need so much air travel, Disneyland vacations, or trade shows. What parts of the economy will we want to restore, and what parts might we choose to let go of? So that's the opening. Hmm. And in fact, the coronation is also the name of the entire book of essays that he wrote during the COVID period. So there's a number of essays and the coronation is the first one he wrote and put out there. He got a fair bit of flack for some of these essays because he doesn't just take one side or the other, but he kind of bounces around and finds the balance point between them and tries to take a more overall perspective view of it, not just a focused view. And so he's really a good essayist. I recommend that book highly to anybody. So, yeah, so what is he saying in that paragraph? He's saying that it's an opportunity that we've given ourselves through this catastrophe called COVID to find ways of improving our social system, our politics, our medicine, the way we communicate with each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which in a way amounts to a kind of healing of really a wounded world. Can I put it that way? Yeah. It feels to me like, at least in these last few years, what the world's population for the most part has suffered from is a kind of psychic wounding from the isolation that we were put through and the experimental medical jabs that we were being forced to take in many cases to save our jobs. A lot of stresses and strains and anxieties that I think left a psychic wound in the population at large around the world, at least here in the West, I see it. Yeah. And what I liked about this particular piece, and there was so much more information, we're kind of trimming it down for the purpose of this discussion. But what made total sense to me is basically that if you can see these kinds of changes and how quickly they're made when we're united in our efforts to do so, whether you agree with what the changes were or not, you could see that collective action really was implemented rapidly when the purpose was in sight. And essentially what he's saying is, just reverse that now and use the same kind of purpose to turn things around. Right. By turn things around, we're talking about a kind of a healing of a collective malaise. We talked about malaise, I think, in the last podcast. So we're talking about not only healing ourselves of physical issues like COVID, etc., but also our own mental equanimity, as well as healing the collective as a group and all the rifts and the divides among the population that has happened. So we have our work cut out for us for sure. What would you say is the first thing that we have to do in the way of healing, Peter? Well, you talked about individual and collective. To me, everything begins with the individual. The choices that we're making, whether or not we need all the things that we have or that we do 
begin to assess or reassess what it is that we're doing with our daily lives? Do we need to put some of the stresses that we have or that we've kind of created for ourselves based on the larger picture, which is the demands of technology, our lifestyles that have changed, our inability to communicate effectively the same way or to reconnect with people so that we're doing things on a healthier level individually first, which then radiates out towards the bigger picture. Yeah, I tend to be in agreement with you on that, except that I'm kind of with Carl Jung in a way. What Jung, the great psychologist, said was that there's the dark side of human life, Mm. the shadow side. And unless that shadow side is dealt with, is explored and understood, there will always be issues on the other side of life, the outer side of life, that will poke up from the unconscious because the darkness has not been addressed. And it seems to me in the last few years, there's been a lot of darkness showing itself in the world that has to be addressed. Some of that darkness, for example, would be the propensity for governments to be over-controlling and authoritarian in their response to what, after all, was another member of the coronavirus family with a 99.8% survival rate, et cetera, et cetera, all those statistics that people cite for why the virus should not be considered a plague, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the dark side of our political system showed itself, the dark side of our social cohesion, which through social media showed itself not to be cohesive at all, but very divisive in the way it's set up. And lots of sort of dark corners, the medical profession itself, why so many doctors remain silent In the early days, especially of COVID, when it became clear that it was the seniors' population, the population of vulnerable people with comorbidities and underlying conditions who were most susceptible to the virus and in the most danger, they didn't stand up as a group, the medical profession, and say, these are the people we have to protect now. Start with them. They did not do that. That's a dark spot on the history of medicine and something that has to be healed up and addressed. So all I'm saying, Peter, is that there are lots of collective issues as well as individual issues that we have to address as a world, as people living in this world, to make a healing happen. There's been overcorrections on both sides. And what I mean by that is that statistics, numbers, information got distorted. Things were not made clear. And so... To me, the very first thing that must happen is both sides need to acknowledge that we've all erred in some ways, either in our estimation of things, in our response to things, what kind of information have we given people, what's been distorted, and kind of put that behind us. In other words, both sides, the pro and the con, or the for and against, need to, in my opinion, rethink their position and stop going back over everything that's been wrong. Some of us have gone overboard in terms of our response to some of these situations. The figures have been distorted, and then there's been overcompensation, as is often the case when people don't agree. When you encounter someone who is of the opposite opinion or does not deal with you in the same way, both sides tend to exaggerate their position. And I think that's part of the problem here is that the people who were for something pushed way beyond the limit, and the people who responded against 
also exaggerated at times because that's what they were facing. They were facing extreme views, extreme positions. And so the first step to healing is recognizing that we've all done it, regardless of the degree. And so to me, that is the beginning of the healing process. Yeah. The only caveat around that, I would say, Peter, is that it's one thing to talk about human beings communicating with each other. And by the way, folks, the people who are listening into this, when Peter talks about the pros and the cons, he's talking about the pro-mainstream narrative folks and those who dissented from the mainstream narrative about COVID and how to handle it and the divide that happened there. And it's still in place, actually. Exactly. And it's another thing we have to heal up. But the other element to this, Peter, too, is that we were being talked to and given advice, not from human beings per se, this sounds weird, but from institutions. So the CDC comes out with statements. The Canadian version comes out with statements. Some hospital comes out with a statement. These are institutions, not human beings per se. And our relationship with our institutions took a beating through COVID because of all the miscommunication or lack of communication. And people began to mistrust the very institutions that they trusted forever growing up. And so that's another aspect of healing that has to happen. It's institutional healing. The institutions themselves have to take responsibility for the mistakes they made. I totally agree with that. And you were right about what I was talking about in terms of explaining the for and against and so on. To focus on the things that we all have in common. Now, many of the things that you just brought up, the institutional problems that we've had, the messaging that's come from our institutions that many of us have lost faith in, the trust factor and so on. Part of the problem is that we don't recognize certain things immediately. And one of them is the profit motive. When you're talking about loving life, there is the poor man's concept of loving life, and there is the well-off man's version of loving life. And typically, people who are benefiting financially continue to work in that direction for as long as that is happening. We're not working at the same level. So to me, a lot of the institutional problems is profit-motivated. The connections, the lobby groups, the interest groups, mm -hmm. and so on, that have put the emphasis on profitability above all else. Yeah. Going back to the value crisis, Andrew Welch's book, the very same thing is the bottom line, the bottom line, the bottom line. Why couldn't the big pharma companies have produced those vaccines? And if they were so important to the world, give them away free. Why couldn't they just give them away free to everyone in the world who needed them? Why did they have to charge any country for those vaccines? Just because they're a company, a mega company, that they have to charge? Mm -hmm. Where was their entrepreneurial spirit? Where was their compassion for humanity? But again, we know it from a subjective level. We don't know all the details. We don't even know when we're talking about this where the lines actually are in terms of what is a normal, profitable situation or what is excessive, what is overdone. These are discussions that require a lot more input, but we can base it on a human understanding in that it's like an insurance company that uses actuaries. The amounts are debatable, but the morality isn't. When you're putting insurance claims ahead of the number of people that die, we all know that's intrinsically wrong. Yeah. 
but we're getting into very specific areas. And so we get lost in this argument on numbers and facts when that's not the real issue. The real issue is we're not understanding the human side of things. We're not connecting on a human level. Once we focus on that, some of those other things will correct, assuming that you can get every entity or every institution on that page. Well, that's the challenge, you see, because these institutions have been around a long time, many of them, and the longer an institution is around, the more entrenched it gets in its own red tape, its own protocols, its own regulations, and all of that stuff. We are drowning in red tape and regulation and constrained to do anything as a so-called free citizen in our society. That's one of the healing, I think, paths that we have to address is just the amount of control that people feel in their lives or lack of. Mm -hmm. And that's a direct align to the institutions that kind of regulate much of our lives. So that has to be addressed too. So I'm suggesting something perhaps very simplistic. I'm suggesting we go back to the idea of love of life and use that as a guide and motivator for going forward. How do you put that love, so to speak, into action? How do we use that love of life that we do in our normal daily living where we support those we love the most? We support family. And in family, you generally, if it's healthy, you ask each other what you need and how support can be offered and so on. That's the approach that has to be magnified into the larger picture. Adopt that way of thinking and not the stuff-related issues, not the yeah. massive focus on consumerism, on things that ultimately do not serve us, say, within a family unit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the amount of stuff we have is ridiculous and it needs to go in a sense. Not that we need to be Luddites about it, although there are high school kids apparently starting up in the U.S. that I'm aware of, starting up Luddite clubs where they're getting rid of their cell phones in favor of a flip phone. And when they meet, they can't have any phones in the room and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So there is some positive movement in that direction. But the vast majority of young people, of teenagers, for example, how are you going to reach them with this love of life idea when they've been isolated from each other for two years and they're all confused and don't know what to think about the world at this point? It's a real big challenge, Peter. Not only is it a challenge, we may not have the answer. This is just one isolated conversation, but this is how things begin. You at least talk about these things. And if we're talking about these things, and maybe someone will pick something up somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you always have an expectation of outcome, as opposed to the main drive being the actual change that you want to see or that you want to make in a forward moving positive direction, if you have an expectation, you may get disappointed early on. But if you begin these conversations, and if you begin to ask questions like, do you really need this? Do you really need that? Why are you feeling this anxiety? Is the anxiety that you're experiencing coming from external forces or is it self-induced? Are you in such a position physically and mentally? You're so overwhelmed that you can't think clearly. <laughs> That's the two-part aspect of healing. Part one being, how did I get to this place? What happened that I feel this way or I'm in this situation? And the second part is, how do I move forward? How do I get out of it, basically? And one element of that, which I think Charles Eisenstein talked about in that paragraph you mentioned mm -hmm. at the beginning that you shared, 
was this, and it's beautifully put, he said something like, when you break a habit, it becomes visible. Yes. When you start breaking the habits that you have, it pops out at you as something that you've been doing for a long time. And the negative aspects of it start to show themselves to you. And that's what happened in the last few years, especially through COVID, was our habitual patterns were controlled and changed by government edict. And that forced us to break certain habits, which for many people was a good thing. People discovered the natural world around them. They discovered a love for baking and other kinds of things or got closer to their family or what have you. And others, of course, went in the other direction and became depressed and isolated and anxious, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to really take a hard look at our individual habits on the one hand mm -hmm. and our societal habits on the other. The whole social media thing is a habit now for populations. Let's assume worst case scenario here. Let's say that the corporation or the institution or the whatever entity we're talking about is completely robotic in the way it carries out its functions. Yep. So if we as a people know that, if we know that they're going to respond in that way, then we need to understand what it is that motivates them. And let's assume worst case and, and say that they're only motivated by money. I don't think that's the case in every situation, but let's assume that. So the only way you're going to modify or change that position is to prevent or change that source that drives them. So if we as individuals continue to want or demand the things that they're producing, why on earth would they ever stop? So we need to change that. We need to say, for example, one car is enough for every three people. I don't need to resell my vehicle every six months. I don't have to change my phone every time a new model comes out. We need to change our habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are not stupid in that way. They know that they're contributing to the system as it is and as it's functioning. But to get people to change their habits is a difficult thing for a lot of folks. And as you just laid out there, it's not the institutions and the companies who are going to do the change. It's the individuals who will change their lifestyles, forcing the companies to go in a different direction. And that's an unfortunate thing, that we have to force these institutions to change their behavior by changing our lives and our behavior, that they won't do it as a gesture of goodwill or as a gesture of solidarity with humanity and with the planet is a tragedy. And that's a part of the darkness that has to be healed, I think, as we move forward. Yes, and tell me, what healing process can you ever really complete if you are angry or anxious or frustrated to heal? You have to reach a certain center of calm. Yeah, there's another aspect to healing. There's a fellow by the name of Gabor Mate, yeah. who's a famous psychologist. And his main sort of point is that all of us, probably without exception, in our childhood, in our very early childhood, almost in our pre-verbal childhood, have likely had some kinds of traumatic experiences. Either we were dropped by one of our parents or we fell out of the cradle or we had some serious illness or we were frightened by a dog that jumped on us or something. Mm -hmm. And that, that those traumas actually stay in our psyches like emotional wounds that don't heal. 
And then what happens is as we grow up, we begin to operate inappropriately in the world emotionally and psychologically because those traumas have never been addressed and dealt with. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to me that we need to do that individually as well as collectively. These last few years have been a traumatic experience to the collective. Yeah, it's always about examining your own position first. Yeah, I agree. Reflection is important. And a lot of people were given time to reflect over the last few years with all the isolation and time off that people had. I'm not sure how much reflection really happened, but at least now in the semi-aftermath of COVID, because it's not over yet, we have a chance to do that again in the retrospective, looking back on the last few years and our part in it on one side or the other of the pro-con divide. Mm-hmm. It gives us a chance to sort of figure out what happened and where each of us became obstinate and stubborn and and made points just for the sake of winning the argument rather than trying to communicate thoughtfully with another human being. I think we all are guilty at one time or another of doing that on both sides of that divide. And so we have to address that in ourselves first and then utilize the opportunities that community can give us to come together as society, as people. And apply the same basic principles too, Harry. Kindness. Put that in your frontal lobe. Yeah. And again, without the expectation of outcome, just treat people with as much kindness as you can muster and begin to behave in a way that not only want to see replicated, but the way you'd like to be treated. If every action you took, if every reaction you experienced, if you just took a moment to reflect on what it would be like for you to be on the receiving end of whatever it is that you don't like. Well, that's the Christian thing, right? Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, so to speak. I look at it more from a humanistic standpoint, but I guess that would be the go-to. Yeah, yeah. I think all of these things we've talked about, and we've probably run the gamut for this conversation, comes down to very simple ideas, don't you think, Peter? The idea of simplifying our life, finding compassion for other people and their situations, reflecting on what's going on inwardly, breaking habits that are bad habits, and addressing the shadow side of our lives. All of these things are being addressed gradually by people as we come out of this COVID period. And I can only hope that that healing will carry on and continue and that Charles Eisenstein's better world will come into being. And not everybody's ready at the same time. You know, this is the other issue. Yeah. Everybody comes to certain points in their lives at different times under different circumstances. And even within the context of our own relationships, if you look at this whole COVID period, couples who've been together 20, 30, 40, 50 years discover things about themselves they never knew before. And for some people, it's been a very positive change. For other people, it's not been as positive or more difficult. Yeah, yeah. You talked about compassion and patience and understanding so that when you do encounter situations that are frustrating or individuals who don't seem to be able to make the adaptations required, it's incumbent on those who have reached that position to help those who haven't. That's my feeling on it. Yeah, and the guides and mentors are all around us for these things that you're talking about, for ways of finding compassion, ways of finding your calm center. All these spiritual traditions are still around us. 
And if you need help on that front, you could turn to Buddhism. You could turn to Christianity. There are good, positive elements and ethics in all of religions, all of the religions in the world. And so you're not alone. Let's put it that way. You're not alone. Absolutely. Yeah. And folks, bear in mind, this is a conversation and you're part of it. If you're listening, you're part of this conversation and we want to hear from you. We want to hear your side of these issues and what you think of them. So send us your comments. Absolutely. And if you're too tired to respond, we completely understand. Forget about it. Respond. Respond. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Harry, I hope uh, things continue to work out there. I know that you're coming close to completion on those barns before winter strikes. Your horses look great in that uh, last photo that I saw, that last video clip. Mm -hmm. Looks to me like you've really got quite a bit done over the last few months. Yeah, thanks. You too. And we'll talk next time. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to the SIL podcast.